0: Just want to spend a few minutes looking at that passage from the Bible that we read. And it's a passage, I guess, which might not immediately look like a Christmas passage. But then, I suppose it asks the question, doesn't it? It helps us to ask the question, what is Christmas uh, really all about? Uh, We watched last week uh, a little video from uh, probably one of my favorite cartoon characters, Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown is, may, he, I, maybe I relate to him. Maybe that his kind of ability to continually get things wrong, that, that's just, I kind of get that. And uh, Charlie Brown turns up with a tatty little twig of a Christmas tree, and he plunks it down, and all of the, all of the needles fall off. Uh, and everybody laughs at him and, and says, so You can't even get that right, Charlie Brown. What a mess. Uh, And he walks uh, walks away, and uh, he turns to his best friend Linus, the one with the blanket, uh, and he says, "What is Christmas really all about?" And Linus, the great theologian that he is, he steps onto the stage. The lights shine on him, and he reads this. But the angels said to them, "Do not be afraid. I bring you good news." on whom his favor rests i thought wow that that it's it's not very often that peanuts speaks with such amazing power but it it did at that moment that is the simplicity of christmas it is this incredible declaration from god But what I want us to see this afternoon, maybe for a few minutes, is the idea that this declaration from God isn't an out-of-the-blue total surprise. In actual fact, the Christmas story, hmm, I guess we'll see that the Christmas story started hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but at least the Christmas story starts months earlier with this little account. So a man named Zechariah, who's a priest, and his wife Elizabeth, they're both older, and Elizabeth and Mary are relations. In fact, the child that Elizabeth has, his name is John, who we read about here, he was Jesus' older cousin. And what we find is that Zechariah, we read it in the earlier part of the chapter, he's going about his job as a priest in the temple, doing the things, burning incense. And we read that it was about that time when the high priest Zechariah belongs to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife uh, was Elizabeth who was the descendant of Aaron. And it was his job to go into the temple and to burn incense. That was an incredibly special thing that he was being called to do. I suppose it was a big picture that God was painting through the temple, this great big physical uh, dramatization of what it means to get closer and closer to God, and the closer we get to God through the temple, in picture terms, it becomes more and more restricted, and uh, Zechariah has the job of going to the closer place on behalf of everybody else, and burning incense. And when he gets in there, he is absolutely astounded, because he hears this voice from an angel who comes into that place, uh, and he speaks to him, and this angel, Gabriel, speaks to him and says, your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child, uh, and that child is going to be called John. Uh, And Zechariah turns around to him and he says, how can I know that this is going to be so. And at that moment, he is struck dumb. He is completely unable to speak. When we catch up with the reading later on, we find that it's come to that point where uh, John has been born, and the amazing moment comes where he's given a name. Naming somebody in those ancient days was an incredibly important moment. I guess most of us in here were named. Maybe we've got a middle name or something that has some sort of family connections. I suppose most of us have got the name that we have because our parents just liked it. But in those days, it was incredibly important. We see that Elizabeth is given the task of giving the name to this child because she had also received a message from God that he was going to she was going to bear a child. He's going to be called John. See, John? That's crazy. Nobody in your family, Well, actually it doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say that's crazy. I suppose that was the what was going on in the mind. It's like, come on, that's that's ridiculous. You don't Elizabeth, if, if Zechariah was able to speak, he'd say that he was going to be called Zechariah. And so they give Zechariah a tablet just to confirm, as they think, you're going to be called Zechariah. And Zechariah writes, his name is John. Wow. What an incredible moment. doesn't seem that incredible to us. But at that very moment... Zechariah is able to speak again, and he bursts out into this, I suppose I would describe it now, um, knowing the kind of the Hebrew um, kind of meter for music, it wasn't kind of lyrical in the way that we would sing, it was pretty much, it was almost an ancient world rap that he breaks into this current kind of poetic ...a kind of outpouring of this amazing moment. And it is all about the birth of two babies. It's about the birth of his son... ...and it is about the birth of Jesus. It's probably about six months away. Isn't that amazing? That's where the Christmas story begins... But I think there is something even more uh, incredible that we can see in this. Do you see what I did there? That was called a dramatic pause. Maybe it's not quite that dramatic, but that's precisely what we see in, the, in, in Zechariah. There's a pause where, where Zechariah goes into and God speaks to him, and then he is unable to speak, and there is silence. And then in a moment, boom, his voice opens and he pours out this incredible literary poem about these two children that are going to be born. A little pause of nine months. What I find even more amazing is that that little pause of nine months is an experience that God's people had had for about 430 years before. What is it about being God's people? Being God's people is knowing that God speaks to you. And for 430 years, God has not spoken to his people. There has been silence. Nothing. In fact, the last words that we have from God to God's people are in Malachi, verse 5 and 6, and it says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of of the parents to the children, and the hearts of the children to the parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And then... Silence. God has said there's going to come a day. It's going to be incredible. I am going to uh, bring into your presence somebody who's going to speak for me in a unique way. I'm going to call him Elijah, which was one of the prophets that had already died hundreds hundreds of years earlier. But you're going to call him Elijah not because it is Elijah but because he's going to look just like Elijah all over again. He's going to have all those characteristics that when you hear him, you will know this absolutely is God speaking again. He's going to be so representative of the power of God present with you that you're going to say it's Elijah all over again. And you're going to know it's me speaking again. And then there's silence. And then... God speaks to Zechariah the priest and then he's silent just as if God is saying let me just underline that silence is a really important thing to me. Have you ever thought about that? Silence is a really important thing to God. We think don't we that it's only important when God is speaking But it's showing us here that it's important when God is silent as well. It's important for us today, we might think, who is this God? Does He exist? The silence of God is important for us. What are we doing about that response to God during that silence? Zechariah, at least, while God was silent, he was at least waiting and expecting that God would speak again. And that's what I guess that's for us to think about. But throughout this silence, there is the opportunity for God to prepare the world for the most breathtaking moment in all of human history. You know, a dramatic pause is absolutely nothing if it's not followed with something massive, is it? <laughs> it's, it's not a dramatic pause. It's just silence if nothing follows. I want you to imagine what kind, of, what kind of power, what kind of authority can create this exuberant proclamation that silences a priest and then causes him to speak that causes the Roman Empire to move people across Palestine, for Mary and Joseph to end up in Bethlehem, for shepherds to hear voices from heaven, for people from hundreds and hundreds of miles away, who we call magi or wise men or astronomers or whatever we think, those men to, to, to respond with something that's going on in the sky, to say, I'm going to go and see what's happening All of those things, all of those moments, different people, from kings to peasants, from rich people to poor people, from significant people to insignificant people. All of those different stratas of society come together for God to make the most incredible declaration, and it is the declaration that we have been talking about this afternoon. This is me with you. That's the incredible proclamation that follows the silence of God. Isn't that that at least Something that we need to take into account when we come to this Christmas time. It's amazing. But I just want to think for a few minutes as we close about what Zechariah actually says when he breaks into this, this poetry, this amazing kind of pouring out of his emotions and his thoughts. I guess for nine months he's been silent. He's probably been working out what he's going to have for for his meals by writing it down on a a slate or whatever it is. He's been silent and the first words that come out of his mouth are not... Oh, it's great to be able to speak again. (laughs) The first words that pour out of his mouth are about a baby. But what's even more surprising is that the first words that pour out of his mouth, the first words are not about his child. They're not. This is the naming of his son, eight days after his birth. Wouldn't you expect that the first words that come out of a father's mouth Are all about his own son, but not with Zechariah. The words that pour out of his mouth, we read in verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and remember His holy covenant, the oath He swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. It pours out of Him and He's saying, God has done what He promised to do. He's brought us salvation. He's brought us hope. He's done what He has been promising to do for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years through all of the prophets and all of those words are nothing to do with John. They are all to do with Jesus who is yet to be born. Isn't that amazing? And then, you know, when I, when I thought about this, when I was preparing for this, I thought it almost brought, brought tears to my eyes and then Zechariah turns and he says, and you my child. That, that got me. That really got me. It's almost as though Zechariah pours out all of these words about this amazing birth of Jesus and then he says, and you my child. It's, it's filled with such affection But it's filled with profound understanding because look what he says. You will be called a prophet of the Most High. Do you remember when God was silent? He said, I'm going to send you Elijah just before he he was silent. And then the first words that are coming out of the mouth of Zechariah are fulfilling exactly what Malachi said was going to happen. Christmas is not a surprise. The birth of Jesus is not a surprise. It happens just when God determines to make Himself present with us. You'll be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God by which... The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. They are astounding words. They, this little bit, which is happening six months before what we think is Christmas, tells us absolutely what Christmas is all about. It's about Jesus coming to bring peace to forgive us our sins. Look what he says in verse 72. God is fulfilling His promises. It's been silent for 400 years. You've been waiting for God to do something and He's done it now and He's done exactly what He said was going to happen. Then he says, a king is coming. It's not quite so obvious to us, but in verse 69 it says, He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. Horn of salvation, a horn is all in symbolic terms for the ancient Jews. A horn is always a picture of kingship. It's a picture of power and authority. And he links this child to the great king that they look back to with hope, David and he says, this is a king. Why do we sing all the time about a king at Christmas? It's because this little baby who's born into a stinking manger with dirty straw and his mother screaming as she gives birth is a king present with us. That's amazing, isn't it? That is either ridiculous or astounding. It's either filled with hope, or we should just think this is a balmy story. The reality is that 2,000 years later, people are still saying, I believe that this King has come into our presence who is no less than the Son of God. But look what it says. Because if we understand anything of Christmas, it's when we understand that Jesus came for a reason verse 68 praise be to the lord the god of israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them saved them just think about that for a minute Zechariah says god has come to his people and he saved them who is he talking about salvation coming from from Jesus, who hasn't yet been born, who's not here yet, and yet he doesn't say he's going to save them, he says he's redeemed them already. Isn't that a strange way to describe it? Wouldn't you say, I believe he's going to redeem them because he is going to come? It doesn't work like that. Zechariah is so utterly convinced that God is going to come and He is going to save them, that He is able to say, I can say it as though it's already happened. You know, for many of us here this afternoon, we are able to say, I have been forgiven of my sins and I am saved by Jesus. We say, I am saved. Do you know what? I don't look particularly saved right now. I've got to get through the rest of life. I'm going to mess up a thousand times yet. I'm going to look a complete failure in all sorts of ways. And yet, I am able to say, but I am saved. Why? Why can I join in with Zechariah and speak Like many of us here this afternoon, how can we join in with Zechariah and say, I can say with absolute assurance, I am? It's wrapped up in this story. And it's quite simply this that God does what he says he's going to do. 400 years of silence, and then he speaks. And He does exactly what He says He's going to do. And therefore, when He says, when you believe and when you trust in this tiny baby who becomes a man, who ends up dying on a cross, who is buried and comes back to life and returns to heaven, when you believe that either true or crazy stuff, it's one or the other, when you believe that to be true and you say that, it's no less than God present with us. We're able to say today, I am saved. That is great news. That, Charlie Brown, is the meaning of Christmas.